Please take your Bibles, if you would, find Jeremiah chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. You might want to keep your Bibles open to that chapter as we kind of make our way through and continue our series, just a four-part series on the 52 chapters of Jeremiah. We certainly could do many, many more. But uh, looking at this month at the book of Jeremiah, then we're looking at another sermon series. But we're glad to see you today. And if you came in at 8 o'clock or before and are sitting toward the front, and you might want to look back and see. We've doubled or tripled, I think, of what we had at 8 o'clock. But we're glad you came in. And uh, if we'd have kept singing, I guess they'd have kept coming. I don't know. But uh, we're glad to see you today. Excited to be a part of what the Lord is doing at Parkway Baptist Church as we have uh, begun this uh, new year and new decade. We're in Jeremiah chapter 18, going to be reading verses 1 through 12. Would you, if you're able to, would you please stand and honor the reading of God's Word today? <clears throat> this now is the Word of God. The Word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he, re he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Verse 12 reads, But they say, That is in vain. We will follow our plans and will every one act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. And you may be seated. It was just a few years ago that we were cleaning out our mom and dad's house after their passing. And as you do, you come across, of course, many, many memorable things. We came across the ashtray that I made and shaped and formed in junior high school. That I'm sure that when I made it, I thought it was such a wonderful and great masterpiece that my parents would be so impressed with that that it would sit on the coffee table in the main room of our house for decades to come. Did I tell you that I found it? As I looked at it and as I looked at this thing that had made so many years ago and had thought so well of it then, I found it to be the perhaps the ugliest ashtray ever on God's green earth. But God bless my mom and dad. They had kept it all these years. And... Uh, it had not been thrown out, at least not as of yet. I'm pretty sure it has been now. Otherwise, perhaps I might have used it as an object lesson today and brought it with me. Well, maybe not. <laughs> but it struck me when I saw this particular thing that had been made many years ago. Uh, it struck me at that moment, and I don't know why it never did before that time, is that my mom and dad were not smokers. Why would I make them an asteroid? But it was the 70s. Everybody was making ashtrays, so we made what everybody else made. And 
presented it to them, you would have thought, well, if it not, it's not going to have an aesthetic touch to it, at least maybe it would have something that would be useful, but it was not even that. Uh, as far as I can remember, it's the only one time that I tried to make any clay sculpting, and my mom and dad uh, probably knew, but they never told me that I would never be a great sculptor, and the world is better for it. My calling must be elsewhere. You see where we're going with this. When we try to sculpt our own plans and mold or shape our own life, we may think we're doing a pretty good job like a junior higher in art class, but the truth is without the Lord, we're making a mess of things. Even if you and all the world thinks that you are doing a pretty good job of things and you're a successful kind to most of your neighbors, you're a good citizen, take good care of your dogs and cats, without the Lord, you are actually heading toward destruction because Whatever life that you are sculpting or that you are molding on your own, it is marred by sin and self, for we're all sinners in need of a Savior. For regardless of whatever good that you may be doing on your own, without the master's touch, without the potter's hand, we're making nothing but an ugly ashtray in a house of non-smokers. The life that you are building have no use or very limited use. This text that we've read today in this chapter that uh, we find in the book of Jeremiah is going to help you and I to be able to think of bigger and better things. The days of your existence on earth in the hands of an almighty God can have eternal ramifications for your family and your friends, your neighbors, and others. Well, what if? What if you could provide everything that your family needs physically and financially and uh, provide things for those you love. You live in a fabulous house. You drive fantastic cars. You have a great education, job, and career possibilities are almost unlimited. Social opportunities galore. Popularity, prestige, and power await. Even if all those things should make you and your family happy, it would be short-lived without Jesus directing your pathway. Now, there's the time factor. That is that your days here on earth are limited they are very short when we compare those certainly to eternity there's the kingdom building factor versus building your own kingdom no comparison to which one's more important god has something bigger and better in store for you last week we talked about how god has a calling on your life if you're a follower of jesus well today we want to talk about what happens when you place yourself in god's hands isaiah wrote something similar in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8. I believe it's there in your notes and maybe they're on the screen by now and it says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, we are all the work of your hand. Now, so we want to talk about what happens when we place ourselves into his hands. One of the first things that we find is that you become like what you worship. Our goal is to become more like Jesus. So the more that you worship Jesus, the more you become like him. Now, that does not necessarily mean that the more times that you show up for worship that you become more like Jesus, though it cannot, it doesn't hurt. True worship means your focus and your priority is Christ. We worship together. You need to worship alone. Your works and your actions, what you do daily and all day is an act of worship because you do what you do to serve the Lord and to please Him. You will resemble or become a reflection of the potter. Our goal is to become more like the potters, to become more like Jesus. Well, Jeremiah had been preaching to the nation of Judah, and they did not like his message. He was uh, 
proclaiming and prophesying against their worship of idols in particularly. And he was given a warning of God's coming whereby Judah and Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. Verse 11 that we read a moment ago talked about the destruction that was coming there to Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem, the holy city in particular, and the temple, these were important to God's people. They were considered sacred. And they were calling Jeremiah a traitor to their country and to their religion because of his call for repentance and the prophecy that God had told him to preach. Much like Jesus had been accused of blasphemy or being a traitor to the people when he spoke about the temple and particularly when he said that the temple would be destroyed in three days, he would rebuild it. Speaking of his resurrection, well, it got political. They told lies about Jeremiah, much like they told about Jesus. The people were becoming like what they worshipped. An idol, well, what's an idol in which they worship? They literally would worship a wooden stone or a statue, would bow down, give sacrifices to it. Now, what is a wooden stone or statue? Well, the prophets often talked about these, that your idols, the gods that you worship, are deaf, dumb, and blind. And they were becoming deaf, dumb, and blind to the spiritual things and to the truths of God and to God's message for them today. But consider this. If they were not worshiping God, what or who were they worshiping? Yeah, if they were not worshiping God, well, it was, it's satanic. They were worshiping the devil. The Bible calls the devil the father of lies, and they were telling lies about God's prophets. They were listening to so-called prophets who were telling them that everything was fine. Don't worry, nothing's going to happen to Judah or to Jerusalem. And particularly, as long as they have the temple, nothing's going to happen to them. Nothing bad will happen. Well, most of us don't have a wooden or stone statue that we put into our homes that we bow down to or that we worship or that we give sacrifices to. No, in our culture, the false god that we most likely bow down to is materialism or it is greed. Uh, many, sometimes it's popularity or prestige or power and for some, it's an addiction of some time that keeps your attention. I, I think many church-going people have an idol they worship or give first priority. And many people don't even know that it's happening. Chances are that if there's something that you have that you would not give up even if you knew God told you to, chances are that is your idol. That's truly what you worship because it has your true devotion. So what does that mean that you become like what you worship? Well, if you worship the almighty dollar, well, then... Probably you'll become even more materialistic, even more greedy, or have a greater desire for power and prestige, or maybe even a greater desire for a better body image if your God is outward appearance. But what did we say? If you're not worshiping God, then your God is who or truly you're worshiping. You're either becoming like Jesus or you're becoming more like the world or you're becoming more like the devil. You might remember that Jesus said no one can serve two masters or he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Do you remember what the next line is? No one can serve two masters or either hate one or love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. And the very next line is you cannot serve God and money. Well, it's not just our culture, is it? And here's the good lesson. Here is a, you do not become more like Jesus just by trying to be more like Jesus, at least on your own, you're more likely to become Jesus-like 
by being truly devoted to Him and worshiping Jesus alone. Worship Jesus. You'll become more like Him. Well, what else happens when you place yourself in God's hands? Well, the potter or the Lord uses everything and every event and every person to mold your life. The Lord's always at work, particularly if you're a child of God, to mold and to shape your life. He uses the good and the difficult to help guide you and to make you a useful vessel. Now, here's Jeremiah. He's been called as a teenager. We found out in Jeremiah chapter 1 that he preaches and prophesies for a number of years. At least three different kings rise to power while in, during Jeremiah's ministry. 52 chapters, particularly verses chapters 2 through 25 are sermon on top of another sermon uh, given to the people of Judah about how they need to repent and how they need to change. And by the way, they're not, they're not listening. And then in chapter 18, God tells Jeremiah, go to the potter's house and there you will see the next message from the Lord. And he goes to the potter's house and he waits. Good lesson for us here. If you want to receive a word from the Lord, be obedient whatever God's telling you to do. Or be obedient whatever you know God wants you to do. And we know that from God's word. And then there may be specific things that God is telling you. So it must have been only one potter's house. Go to the potter's house. It may have been a house that he passed by every day. So he goes there. And even before God speaks, he watches and he seems to get a sense of the reason that he's there. He sees the potter at the wheel, a lump of clay in front of him, and the potter's pumping the wheel with his feet, and it's turning. What does verse 4 say? It says, The lump of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Some translations say that it was marred or that it was flawed. In the New Living Translation, it says this, But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. My translation or the English Standard Version that we read a moment ago says he reworked it into another vessel. If it was obvious to Jeremiah, well, maybe it should be obvious to us that in the hands of Jesus, we are a new creation. The old is gone. He makes all things new. I wonder if Jeremiah was thinking as he's watching the potter at work, I wonder if he's thinking about what God has done in his own life. You and I are as a lump of clay when you put yourself into God's hands he shapes and molds you. You become a vessel like Him, usable in His kingdom. And He uses all the events in your life, the good things that happen, the tough things that you go through. He uses uh, all the people in your life. Some of those are obvious. He uses your family and teachers and coaches and Sunday school teachers. All these are obvious that the Lord might use to, as an influence in your life. But have you ever had somebody to be rude to you? How I many of you ever had somebody that be downright mean or belligerent to you? I mean, I'm sure that we all have. What's the number one lesson to learn? Don't be like that. I mean, that's the lesson. We can certainly learn. We can learn a lesson from everybody. Sometimes it's the lesson on what not to do. I've often said one reason that the Lord gives us families and our families who are imperfect and the things that we go through sometimes with families, I think it's to... Uh, help the rough edges in our life so that the rest of the world can stand to be around us. So the Lord allows you to go through some circumstances in order to mold you. Well, what can you do? You could complain. Why is this happening? Why are things not different? Jeremiah had been preaching for years and no success. People are not listening. 
And now his life is being threatened. If you have your Bibles open to Jeremiah chapter 18, look at verse 18. We read through verse 12, but verse 18 says, Then they said, Come let us, talking about the people that he's preaching to, let us make plots against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor word from the prophet. Talking about false prophets. Come let us strike him with the tongue, and let us not pay attention to his words. Listen to Jeremiah's response. I want you to be ready. Glad you're sitting down for this. Verse 19 says, Hear me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of my adversaries. Should good be repaid with evil? Yes, they've dug a pit for my life. Remember how I stood before you to speak good for them and turn away your wrath from them. Therefore, deliver up their children to famine. Give them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widowed. May their men meet death by pestilence. Their youths be struck down by the sword in battle. May a cry be heard from their houses when you bring the plunder suddenly upon them. For they've dug a pit to take me, laid snares for my feet. Yet you, O Lord, know all their plotting to kill me. Forgive not their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. It's at least the fifth time that Jeremiah has brought a formal complaint in order to God. You know why we like the prophet Jeremiah so much? Because he often says the things that we might be thinking. Lord, get them for me good, Lord. Lord, won't you get them? Well, it's the less pious prayer. Now we temper this with what Jesus said in the New Testament about praying for and blessing and doing good to those who might hate us or mistreat us. Now this is descriptive in what Jeremiah prayed back to God. It is prescriptive in that God knows how we feel. It's okay to take our plaints to God. Listening to His direction, knowing He's using everything, event, and person to help to shape us as long as we leave it in His hands. To complain and then to take ourselves out of God's hands and keep it only in our hands does not make for us to be able to be a useful vessel. Well, you could resist. That is to seek to resist what God's wanting to do in your life. You, you have some say in the matter. You can decide every day whether you're going to obey God or not. You can decide every day whether you're going to love or not. You can decide every day whether you're going to follow God or not. You can choose to allow God to be at work even when things are at the worst. Wouldn't it be terrible to go through a loss, to go through a tough situation, a rough time and for things to be at their worst and not to come out better than you were before. My fear is that most people don't come out better or don't become more like Jesus because they resist what God can do. Even through the worst storm, and we had some storms come through and our prayers are for those who were hurt, damaged, and families who lost loved ones during the storms that came through yesterday. But we've got to believe this, even in the midst of the storm, and it takes a lot of faith. But it is because of our faith that even the worst part of storms, God can use for His glory. And God can use for your good. And when God called His people to Jeremiah to amend their ways and turn to God, verse 12 that we read earlier gives their response. But they say, that's in vain. What Jeremiah says is in vain. We will follow our plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. It's kind of ironic that they're saying, well, you know, we're just going to follow our evil heart. Probably they didn't say evil. Lord, that's what they're thinking. We're going to follow our heart. Lord, 
use the descriptive, their evil heart. Because in the chapter before that, you can look at it, or it's going to be on the screen, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. He had just said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You, yet we say it all the time. Well, what are, you, what are you going to do? Well, just follow your heart. Just whatever your heart's telling you. But the heart's deceitful. Only follow your heart if you know that Christ is on the throne of your heart. Then you can follow what Christ is saying. Please take note that though Jeremiah did complain, he took his complaints to God, but he did not resist God. You could complain. You could resist. You should submit. And that's what Jeremiah did. And it was what was asked of God's people, but they refused. There's a lesson in the picture of the potter, again in verse 4, the last part of that verse, he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Submit yourselves into God's hands and trust the potter to make you into whatever he sees is best. He knows what's right. He knows what's good. He knows what's best. We read in Romans just a few months ago, Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, where Paul wrote, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? I wonder if Paul, when he wrote that in Romans, he was thinking maybe about the Isaiah passage or the Jeremiah passage about how we're clay in the potter's hands. And however he forms us, who do we talk back to God and say, or to question what God's doing? Well, what else is happening when you place your life in God's hands? Well, you serve a potter or a Lord of new beginnings. You serve a potter of Lord of new beginnings. The book of Jeremiah is a plea for God's people to repent and start again to have that new beginning. Prophet after prophet had come and, speak and was sent to Israel and to Judah. 52 chapters in the book of Jeremiah alone and half of these or more are God giving warnings about exile and judgment. Jeremiah is sent to the potter's house and before God even speaks, he sees the potter at the wheel. And he sees what he sees as the obvious lesson or maybe what we see as what we think is the obvious lesson. Put yourself in the potter's hand. In light of the cross, we know who is Jesus and he will shape you into who you are in Christ. It's a lesson. I got to tell you though this morning, it's not necessarily the lesson. But before I tell you the lesson, I need to tell you, we should make personal application as followers of Jesus. The temptation is to sometimes read in the Old Testament, we see the prophecies about the nation of Israel, and we apply those to the nation in which we live. We try to apply those to the United States. The nation of Israel needed to repent. The United States needs to repent. We certainly know that that's true. But it is more likely for us to be able to understand it that the prophecy is for God's people. The lessons are for God's people, and so these are lessons for God's church. And so they're lessons for God's church, and so they are a lesson for you, and they're a lesson for me. So we read a passage like this, and we ask, well, what is the lesson for the church? What is the lesson for me? Are we God's people? Are we submitting to God, or are we resisting to God? If you've messed up, if you've been resisting, or maybe you just need some encouragement to keep on keeping on, we serve a God of new beginnings. But are you ready for the lesson? The clay in the potter's hand does represent the nation of Israel. God's people and what God wishes would happen that they would begin anew. 
But the question is not, will they be in God's hands or not? The question is, will they remain as they are? Because if they do, they will continue to be in God's hands, but God will shape them for destruction. Read with me, if you would, again, verse 6. Verse 6 says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the whole Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Let's get down, if you would, to verse 11. Verse 11, it says, Now therefore, say to the... Verse 11, Now therefore, say to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you, and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way. And amend your ways and your deeds. Sovereign God says, You're in my hands. I will shape you for something beautiful and useful or for judgment and exile. And then we find in verses 7 and 8. And here's a key verse. Boy, I remember reading this the other day and then reading it again. I realized how key this verse is to understanding most of the Old Testament. Verse 7 and 8. It says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. You understand that God's character does not change. But holy God cannot ignore sin. But these verses, this key to unlocking the rest of the Old Testament. You remember Jonah, the reluctant prophet that went to the city of Nineveh, finally. When he comes to the city of Nineveh, he preaches a one-point sermon. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. No ifs, ands, and buts. Then he goes and he wants to, he looks for a comfortable place in which he might be able to sit, watch the fireworks that are going to take place. But what does Nineveh do? Well, they repent. God then saves Nineveh because they have turned from evil and they have turned toward God. It represents God's character. Why? Because of these verses. It, it would have been true for the Egyptians in the Old Testament who held slavery, the Israelites. If they had turned from evil and turned toward God, God would have spared the Egyptians. It was true for the Canaanites who lived in the promised land when God's people came into the promised land and was bringing judgment on them when they were to destroy all the people in the promised land. If they had turned from God, turned from evil and they had turned toward God, they would have been saved. It was true for the Philistines that were so many times fought against David and fought against the Israelites, the greatest enemy perhaps maybe of Israel. Had they turned from evil and turned toward God, God would have saved them. It would have been true for Judah and the people. Had they listened to Jeremiah and the word of God, then they would not have had Jerusalem and Judah and, and uh, Judah and the temple destroyed. They'd been saved and not carried into exile. You know who else this is true for? It's true for you and me. That if we turn from evil and sin and turn toward Jesus, you serve a God of new beginnings. Also, when you place yourself in the potter's hands, the potter or the Lord protects you from attacks. We learned this lesson from the life of Jeremiah. In spite of his complaints to God, God protected him. What kind of temptation, what kind of attacks do we face? Well, let me give you two categories. We probably could name many more, but we... Temptations and persecutions. Temptations and persecutions. All temptations are temptations to be disobedient and turn away from God. 
Jeremiah did not turn away from following God. He was persecuted. We'll talk more about the many ways in which he's persecuted, probably even more in the weeks to come. He was persecuted like Jesus was persecuted, like the Apostle Paul was persecuted. I wonder if soon after Jeremiah made this complaint to God that maybe he remembered what God told him in the first chapter, in Jeremiah chapter 1 in verse 19. To where God told Jeremiah, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord to deliver you. And thus, though he complained, he did not resist and he submitted. You and I are not immune to attacks. We know we'll continue to be tempted. But when we are weak, we know that he is strong and he helps us. And when we fall, he forgives us. We can also expect attacks by the way of persecutions. Much Maybe not to the severity, but we will have persecutions like Jeremiah and like Jesus and like the Apostle Paul. How do I know? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now, i got to tell you, this doesn't seem like a good selling point for new recruits. Come follow Jesus, live this godly life, and you're going to be persecuted. But it does mean you're going to be among good company. And then there's this from Hebrews in the New Testament, chapters 13 and verse 6. It says, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Better to be under attack for living a godly life in the potter's hands and able to live with confidence than to be under attack while being shaped for destruction, having to face today or the future all alone and not in the hand of an almighty God or a loving Savior. If you're in His hands, trust Him to protect you. Also, if you're going to be in God's hand, place yourself in the potter's hands. You need to understand the consequences of sin. We read every story in the Old Testament through the filter and in the light of the cross of Christ. Verses 7 and 8 that we read a moment ago about God not bringing destruction on all who turn from evil and turn toward God is a key to understanding all of the Old Testament and it points to the New Testament and to Jesus. Why would God so many times give Israel chances, God's people time again and again when they turned from God and did not turn toward Him? Because God's a holy God and He is a loving God. That's the why. Well, how can He do this? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. He cannot and He will not overlook sin simply because you decide that from now on you want to be good. It just doesn't work that way. There's a punishment that has to be paid for the follower of Jesus, for believers. We know and we understand it was for our sins that Jesus died on the cross. You think God ever grows impatient with us? It's a fundamental biblical truth. God does not punish believers. Jesus took our punishment for us. If He did not, then His death on the cross is in vain. He sometimes disciplines. For followers of Jesus, He disciplines as a loving Father disciplines His children. So that when something bad happens, even if we know we're a follower of Jesus, we begin to think, have I done something wrong? Is God disciplining me at this time? And it's okay to ask God in prayer, is this discipline that's taking place because of something that I've done wrong? And I've got to tell you, we may not always be able to tell the difference between what is God's discipline and what's just part of living in a fallen world when life just happens. 
what we've already talked about and we understand that God's always using everything and every situation and every person in order to shape us and to mold us into who we need to be so we know what's the purpose of discipline. What's the purpose of shaping it is to bring us back or to continue to shape us so that we might be able to be more like Christ so that we might become a more beautiful vessel, one that is useful and a proper vessel. God can use us so that we are beautiful in His sight and useful for kingdom purposes. Sin, particularly unconfessed sin, stranger fellowship with Jesus, the one who made you and saved you, the very one who's given you every incentive to please Him. A mom and dad went out on a, for date night and left their older children home alone for one of the very first times without a babysitter. And as they come back home that night, anxious about what they would find, they came and most of the lights were out. Everything was very quiet. And there on the living room table, there was a broken vase and there's a note next to it. And it reads, Dear Mom and Dad, I know that you told us never to play ball in the house. But we played ball in the house. We're very sorry and we have broken the vase. We have cleaned our room and we have put ourselves to bed without any supper. If we die of starvation during the night, you might try giving us double stuffed Oreo cookies to see if that brings us back. The Bible tells us you are a follower of Jesus. You need not fear the punishment or the wrath of God. Would you like to need not fear the discipline of God anymore? I have to question if things are happening. That is this God's discipline for me? You can do that in one or two ways. You could not sin anymore. I mean, you could give it your best shot. Good luck with it. Boy, I've tried it. Try to live a perfect life. We're going to continue to be sinners. And we're going to continue to fall short of what God would have us to do. Or you could try this. Daily confession and evaluation of your relationship with Jesus. Are there sins to confess? Are there changes that need to be made? You want to seek after your Savior daily so that He doesn't have to come looking for you. Our God's not a vendetta God. He gave the Israelites every chance to repent and turn to Him time and time again, more times than be counted. He's not waiting for you to mess up so that He might be able to zap you or whip you into shape. No, He's rooting for you. And where we are weak, He is strong. Trust His love and care. And for all others, this idea about understanding the consequences of sin. For those who are non-believers, judgment is waiting as the consequence of unrepented sin. In the, in the Old Testament, it seems clear when they talked of judgment, it's often had more to do with what happens to the nation or a physical judgment while on the earth. In the New Testament, in the age in which we are living, judgment more often refers to the individual and to what happens after this life is over, the hell and not heaven kind of a thing. Not that God cannot and does not inflict judgment on earth. And one day the full vent of His wrath will take place on earth. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to come along with Jeremiah. Come along to the potter's house. Take a look at what he looked at. As he comes and he watches the potter who's pumping the wheel with his feet and he's shaping the pottery there with his hands. We see that there's been a lump of clay that's before him. And now he begins to shape it. And we can see 
what was once a moral spoil piece of clay, clay now through the master potter, he makes a beautiful, useful vessel. Well, I've seen it happen. You've seen a potter perhaps. It's interesting. It may be even amazing of how they shape it and round it just so. The wheel turns. If it gets a little wobbly or if it leans in one direction or the other, the potter brings it back to where it seems perfect on every side until it is complete. But wait, if you come along with Jeremiah and you see the potter, because wait, because the Lord's about to speak. And he says, as he said to Judah, listen, can I not do with you as the potter has done? Say yes. No matter what you've done in the past, no matter your season of life, turn from sin and turn toward Jesus. Ask Christ to forgive. He promises that He will. Ask Christ to take charge of your life and your eternal life. Because we understand that when a people, a church, or a person, or you become clay in God's hands, He will create a vessel fit for His purpose. Say yes today. Say yes to the potter. If you're a follower of Jesus, say yes and allow Him to be able to show up shape and mold you into a proper vessel that is beautiful in His sight and is useful for kingdom purposes. And if you're an unbeliever today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, say yes. Say yes to the potter who wants to begin brand new and create that new life of Christ living in you. Let's bow together for prayer. Christ Jesus, we thank you for hearing our prayers today. We thank you, Father, for how you have been at work in our lives. We thank you for the followers of Jesus that we have here today. It may be today that we might be able to say yes or maybe yes once again. Father, shape us and mold us into your plan and not our own. Father, we pray if there's one or more here that do not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day that they say yes to the potter. Yes, they want to become a new creation. That today we know that we can turn from sins and we can put it in place our trust in you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunities you give us today and every day. It's in the precious name of Jesus we lift these prayers. Amen. Would you please stand?